Welcome back to the Better Men, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 80th episode of the podcast, where we get a chance to talk to Nolan Harveth, the strength and conditioning coach, or what he likes to call the sports performing coach at West Virginia University. Coach Harveth is also the former strength and conditioning coach at Glenville State University, while also serving as the assistant athletic director, former intern at WVU, where he worked primarily with the football team, assisted with all team list uh, runs, broke down all strength conditioning activities. He also served as a consultant with the University of Charleston baseball team with former podcast guest Andrew Wright. He was there with 2016 and 2020, where he designed all strength and conditioning programs for the team. He tracked, monitored, and assessed all data co- obtained for each macro cycle. Kucharvis also got his start in high school serving as strength and conditioning coach at for Morgantown and East Fairmont High School. This guy develops the whole person, is all about the culture, all about the environment that he's creating in the weight room. He's extremely passionate. You're going to hear we hit the ground running. You will might have to listen to this five, six different times because we roll. Uh, he's a fast talker. I know that I can get fast when I get fired up, and we bring the juice. Just forewarning you, it is pretty exciting and um that's when i first met him got to meet him at a team camp he he goes over his program and was extremely inspiring and um loved what he loved his message loved how he develops the whole person it's exactly what we're talking about um this is not just about the game he's about developing his players for life and getting them ready as young men and um, he talks about that in his program, but also being so well-detailed that I'm sure, just like me, like a lot of things right over the head, and um, just a great conversation, and I'm really fortunate to have it, uh, get to know Coach Harvath, and uh, know it will not be the last time we get a chance, so Coach Harvath, I can't pre- thank you enough, man, appreciate the time, um, just amazing stuff there at West Virginia University, amazing stuff, so without further ado, here he is. The strength and conditioning coach, related to the sports performance coach at Western University, Coach Nolan Harvin. Yeah, uh, we're in a unique situation uh, in the realm of strength and conditioning where we spend so much time with the athletes uh, that they truly become part of your family. So you really learn to take part of who you are and what you believe in and try to pour it into them and help them develop and to become the best humans they can be. Um, I don't think there's a strength coach on the planet that won't say that we don't have the best jobs on the planet. Um, and it's a blessing every day. I don't consider what I do a job or a profession. It's an opportunity. And uh, I wake up thankful that I get to put the flying W on my chest every day. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's just, is that, is it something, I mean, cause you've been, you've had different stops and all, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, your philosophy and stuff. And I get maybe that's why you were hired because it seems like you're in it's coach Maisie. Like it's, I guess it's all part of that same culture. You know, it sounds like you all are talking about the same message. Yeah. And I think being a part of a staff where you all believe in the same things, uh, you don't have to fake it till you make it. Um, you can genuinely be who you are and it allows you to grow as a human. And that's what life's all about is growing as a human and reaching your potential. So it's really critical to live in an environment that, promotes family and allows your significant others and your little ones to run around and the players know them by first name. And, you know, so it's, it's a really, really unique situation that I'm very thankful to be a part of. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, it was just, it's just so impactful. Like, like, um, 
Do you guys have conversations about culture? Like, are you sitting in the coaches' meetings and going over the culture? Yeah, so we have a coaches' meeting at least one time a week, either normally Tuesday or Wednesday, where it's kind of, you know, the State of the Union of the Mountaineer Baseball Program, where, you know, during the summer we're outlining our goals, where we want each player to be individually, uh, what our off-season goals are for them, what our in-season goals are, uh, obviously going over the schedule. But from a cultural perspective, uh, we all have to be on the same page. Um, you know, and it really comes down to commitment, effort, discipline, toughness, and trust and leadership in the locker room. I think a sign of a really good team is where the leadership starts in the locker room and the guys in the locker room are policing what the structure in the organization uh, of the philosophy of the program that's it's structured under. And do you, I mean, there's so much to un unpack too, buddy. Like, I don't think anybody like got like, uh, the full package of what I got. So, cause you could just kind of like maybe dive into some things of like, kind of like rehashing the kind of stuff like that, that you're all about and the culture and the thing that you're trying to instill when you have the guys. Yeah, absolutely. So we call it our mountaineer mentality. Um, you know, and it's an acronym, uh, it's called grit and, you know, some people have heard of it, uh, before and, but we took it and we put our own spin of it, you know, kind of what our mountaineer mentality, what we're looking for from our players, uh, not only the players that we recruit, uh, but the players that we're trying to, uh, you know, develop as human beings and try to win a championship with. So the first one is greatness. Uh, we talk about expecting greatness from yourself uh, before you can even start expecting greatness from others. Uh, you always have to start with yourself, um, you know, and we, we always say being good is a given. If you're, you know, part of our ball club, it's, it's a given you're good. So you got to separate yourself from the norm and you got to hold yourself to a higher standard and you got to hold others to a higher standard. That way, you know, the new incoming class is always chasing to raise that bar. Uh, you know, the R stands for respect. You got to respect yourself, your teammates and your coaches and the opportunity you've been given. There is no professional teams in the state of West Virginia. Uh, so WVU um, is the professional sport. So we're representing 1.8 million people every day we show up. Uh, and punch the clock to go to work. Uh, so it's really, you know, we got to respect those people we're representing as well. Uh, and respect is earned. It's not given. Uh, we call rent is due. Um, you know, rent is due. Uh, you know, when we got to do our morning runs, you know, after we just got off the ball field at nine o'clock at night, rent's due. We got to go to work. Uh, and then living with intent. Um, that's something we talk about, not only from a weight room perspective, um, but from a life perspective, right? You got to live with a purpose and be relentless in whatever you choose to pursue. You don't just let life happen to you and you go through the motions. You don't have any success in any part of your life. And the same thing in the weight room, right? Like we coach bar speed. We got to have intent on our jumps. We got to have intent on how we land, but it all ties together. I don't think that, you know, just being the strength and conditioning coach should be pigeonholed to strictly injury resiliency and athletic performance. I think we can impact these humans on a much greater level that we don't even know down the line. Uh, and the T stands for trust. Uh, trust yourself and trust your preparation and trust your sweat equity, we call it. Uh, trust your teammates. And that's something I think the weight room culture and the amount of time we spend in the weight room really shows itself because the game of baseball itself, uh, you know, you got to do your go, do your individual drills, your middle infielders, your corners, your outfielders, your catchers, your long relievers, your starters. Uh, but when they're in the weight room or team runs, they get to see each other's work ethic and they get to see each other's sweat equity and they get to see who they want to play beside. And, extra innings on a Sunday game uh, at a Big 12 rival. Um, so those are just things that we preach from that standpoint about what the Mountaineer mentality is. Oh, love it. Um, so, and, and 
I'm just thinking of like, so specifically like you're going into, and are you in charge of, so uh, of all conditioning? So from the standpoint of, uh, cause I love what you mentioned about. So like, you're so hands-on that you literally know if guys have ran the bases that day, whether they're going to run more like the following day or like what you might have them do later. Right. Yep. Yep. So, uh, we're pretty hands-on in our program and that's what those meetings, uh, from a cultural perspective allow us to do, uh, develop a plan that is seamless and integrated from the athletic training performance, the strength and conditioning side, the nutrition side. Um, so we'll set and monitor practice. You know, if we know we have, they have a heavy base running day on a Monday, but we know they got morning run on Tuesday where they have a heavy base running day on Wednesday. We know they got a morning run on Thursday. Uh, so that kind of a, you know, we sit there and monitor total yardage that each athlete runs um, and so that allows us to kind of tweak and tailor their training because we have whoop bands as well that allows us to monitor recovery, monitor sleep, monitor cardiovascular load that can kind of tell us what each athlete's strain was for the day. That way, you know, we always say uh, live to fight another day or don't burn the steak. Um, so we always try to leave some in the tank. That way we can p- perform at a high level the next day. Awesome. Um, can you? How long have you had with the whoop? The whoop band is it's is it W H O O P? Was that whoop bands? Yep, W H O O P. I think WVU has had it. The baseball program has had it for two years now. Um, this will be my going on my tenth month of being pretty hands on with it and starting to understand it. Um, and what it really allows us to do um, is engage athletes in conversation. Um, one of my biggest coaching philosophies and probably my single most important is developing that athlete-centered approach where you have a relationship and you can have conversations with them. Uh, so we use the whoop band um, to engage in conversations. You know, hey, man, you know, why was your sleep uh, not very good last night? Why did you only sleep four hours? Uh, that just opens up a ton of other doors, right? It could be an academic stress. It could be uh, family stress at home. It could be relationship stress. And all that holistic stress takes a toll on the athlete. And those are what we got to remember. Um yeah, it's great that we set out and periodize this perfect plan that we think we're going to get the most explosive creatures that walk the planet. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that they're not robots. They are humans, and the body can't distinguish academic stress from athletic stress if they're at a high level. Um, so we, you know, we can use the whoop bands that way to engage in conversation, but as well as drive programming decisions as well. Mm, awesome. Um, what have you found to be so like? You know, you've coached at a lot, and I love being able to talk to you because I think you can relate to a lot of different levels uh, because right now you're performing at a very high level, and you've also been at the high school level. So is it something like, you know, thinking at the high school level, do you feel like it could be valued there? Is the bang for the buck there to use it at the high school level? Um, To be honest with you, I think that the high school level uh, is the most important part for development uh, for any athlete that walks the planet, uh, not only from an athletic standpoint, but from a longevity of life standpoint, especially if you have a very good program and a very structured program that focuses on quality of movement over how much weight's on the bar and how well you can move weight and how fast you can move weight. Um, I think that that level, because the nervous system at that age is so, it's called plasticity and it's so malleable and it's so transformable. Um, that focusing on explosive movements and explosive and working on building strength through large ranges of motion, not only b- builds a better athlete, um, but it also develops a more injury resilient athlete. So I can't, I, I think my favorite thing is, and I always make sure when a kid comes into a, at a program at the college level, I can normally tell you those that were not on a strength program, those that were on a strength program that 
might not have been as emphasized on technique. And I can tell you those athletes who have been on a program who it was very structured and very thorough and very sound. Um, and so you can, as a coach, see that. And it's, oh, we make sure, at least I do, uh, to always tell those athletes that come in and they have really sound movement to make sure they text their coach after that session and say, thank you, coach, for all your hard work and investing in me. Um, because I think that I think that bracket of strength and conditioning is undervalued. Yeah, for sure. Can I just can I just ask you like just straight question is like how how do you how can you tell? Like I know I know you're an expert in your field, you know, but like just how could how could we help prepare guys to to say like we want you to look like this or be like how how can you tell? Um so obviously movement patterns is normally how I can tell are they a knee bender versus a hip bender? Uh, do they are they extremely uh, hyperextended? Do they have an extremely arched back when they're performing certain movements? If we're going to do a push up and they're shaking from the very first rep, uh, if they can't do a chin up, um, you know, a lot of poor squat technique with knees caving in are some common things we see. Uh, squat depth is a big thing we see now. If there's pre-existing conditions uh, that don't allow the athlete to have a full range of motion. Um, that's something that's one thing or not being able to actually load their spine due to previous injury due to the rotational demands of the sport that's another thing but just certain things like that and then obviously certain strength levels as well um, but at West Virginia we're very fortunate to be able to have Hawkins force plates where we can do some force plate testing uh, and that really gives us a lot of data uh, especially when we first get these incoming freshmen uh, where they're just on campus they're raw and the first thing we do is we put them through a movement assessment with our athletic trainer uh, to look at the shoulder, the hip, the ankle. Uh, we're looking at thoracic spine extension and rotation uh, to just get to know the athlete. Um, and then from a physical performance standpoint, we take them through force plate testing um, that measures their squat jump and uh, their counter movement jump. And then isometric mid And what that does is that lets us, that allows us to see the genetic makeup of where we can kind of go with our athletes to drive those decisions. Mm, Okay. So that's what I was kind of wondering is like, okay, you, you've, you've kind of pinpointed these guys need a lot more of my help than the other guy. Cause I I think that's very real, even because I'm sure you could realize is at the high school level, you're dealing with freshmen who are, you know, probably just now starting lifting weights and rightfully so fifth, 14 years old. Um, and how do you differentiate that? How do you go through about that process where you're trying to differentiate between guys who like might need a piece of PVC and the guys can just go? Yeah. So uh, what we actually do is, um, is we run everybody when everybody got back from our 18 year old or kid that just turned 18 August 1st and they're coming to college to our 20 or our athlete who just turned 24 today. Uh, they all went through what we call general physical preparation and that's our tissue prep block. And that's assuming what we have to take into consideration is that most of these athletes went and played 50 games of summer ball. Um, so what we do when they come back is we just run them through our general physical preparation or our tissue block or our volume accumulation block, where we run them through our regressed models of what our baseline movements are. So if it's a squat, it's going to be a goblet squat. If it's a row, it's going to be a bodyweight inverted row. If it's a dumbbell bench press, it's going to be a push-up. And we just kind of run them through a circuit for two weeks uh, to kind of get them up to speed. And what that allows me to do uh, is that allows me to coach all the new guys uh, at the same movement at the same time. Um, and that allows me to see quality movement patterns. And, for example, we had a freshman come in this year who, uh, a great worker, very talented arm, uh, is going to help the Mountaineers win a lot of ball games. Didn't quite understand how to hip hinge. 
Uh, so when we got done with our volume accumulation training uh, phase, uh, he still stayed on that regressed model. And uh, this will be Monday was his third week of that phase. And uh, to truth be told, he actually now can do the movement. So uh, with those athletes, uh, we just slow cook them a little longer. And it's just having the patience at the high school level, uh, the patience and the confidence and the understanding that sometimes it's okay to actually regress the movement uh, to get a better result. And sometimes weight's not the answer. Sometimes it could be a band. Sometimes it could be a med ball. Sometimes it could be as simple as body weight. Um, but just, you know, having everybody when they first start training on the same pl- same page so you can see uh, these athletes' knees cave in. Okay, this can be a modification for their program. Or these athletes are not very strong pulling overhead. Okay, this is a modification we can go here. Uh, so starting very general and very broad allows you to narrow it down and find common buckets. You can put those athletes in at the high school level uh, over time. Long answer. Yeah. No, that's great. No, I, I, I preach. I think that's very, very real. Cause I think coaches can relate to that because that's what they're trying to do with hitters. You know, they're basically going to bucket them based on, you know, I'm the big slap guy. I might be the bunner guy. I also might be the big donkey. That's going to hit it freaking 400 feet. You know, we're going to bucket those guys and treat those guys different. So I think that makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> and I like how you said, basically, we're going to do that for two weeks straight. Everybody's just going to kind of do this circuit where we're going to kind of see where you are. Then I can make modifications. I like how you said that word is modifications to when you do your squat or you do your row uh, and things like that. Yeah. So, so the whole goal of strength and conditioning, and that's a term that uh, I'm not necessarily in love with. I don't think that justifies what we do in the field. Um, Sports performance or athletic performance, I think, is a more appropriate term because, uh, number one, do no harm. And then number two, the whole goal of strength and conditioning in baseball at any level or strength and conditioning in any sport, for that matter, is to increase performance in the competitive environment. Uh, And you cannot be married to an exercise. You have to be married to a stimulus and what goal or what adaptation you're trying to achieve, Uh, you know, so. For instance, uh, I, I have a pitcher who cannot put a bar anywhere remotely close to his spine. If it does, his spine will lock up and he has to shut it down for a couple of days. So he's very, very good at single leg squats. He's very, very good at single, uh, anything, uh, walking lunges, barbell lunges, anything in a split stance. Uh, he can pull trap bar from the floor, uh, you know. So, And then I have other pitchers who can do anything from catch hand cleans to front squat with impeccable form to put a bar on the back and back squat. So it's just meeting the athlete where they're at and being able to say, okay, we are trying to get a force adaptation here where we're trying to, you know, generate maximum force abilities. What tools do I have to get those? Um, so, you know, some of our guys, uh, Olympic lifts, some do not, but we can chase during that same general overall template of what our team needs. We can individualize based on exercise selection. Mm. This is awesome. awesome. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun because, uh, you know, tomorrow in our third lifting group, that is all of our relief pitchers um, and then a middle infielder, and there's 10 of them. And there'll be seven different uh, what looks like workouts going on, but they're all pursuing the same stimulus, uh, you know, whether it's a long reliever or a closer or, you know, center field or our shortstop second baseman, uh, they're all seeking the same stimulus. They're just using different tools to get it. So and as a coach, it makes it more fun as well to coach that. So you're not coaching the same thing 
for five straight hours in a row. It just kind of allows you to have some variability and still get excited so you can give each group the same amount of passion and attention from the six o'clock group to the 10 o'clock group. Sure. And can you just clarify a little bit like the stimulus when you say you're chasing the, the or you're married to the stimulus? Yep. So what I mean by that is, so as strength coaches, you know, we're lifting weights to get bigger, faster, stronger, but it's a, actually a little deeper than that. You know, sometimes we need one to chase strength speed, which is force application with higher velocity or cha- chasing speed strength, which is lighter weights, trying to generate as much force as possible. Um, and then just understanding, you know, what those percentages are for those exercises, or even, you know, if it's a force block, we're trying to generate, we're trying to teach the body how to produce force. So motor unit recruitment, rate of force development, uh, muscle synchronization, all those things um, and that block, or it could be a power block where everything is going to be more explosive and lighter weights and an emphasis on how fast can you do it or how violent can you do it? Um, So just different times of the year in terms of what we're working on, uh, we can use anything from a conventional straight bar deadlift to a low handle trap bar deadlift to a kettlebell deadlift based on what the athlete needs and still get the same adaptation. Mm-hmm. You're getting the same result, basically, you're trying to say. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And I was th- I was wondering, like you said um, earlier, with the pitcher that's going through, like, just hasn't getting his hip hinge and you're taking him through his third week, I would imagine – that those things are also going to translate on the field. If he can hold his hip hinge and stay in his hip hinge longer, he's probably going to throw harder, I would imagine, or have better, just have better mechanics and better be able to better, just better stuff. His stuff should be better. Yeah, he actually made the comment about that the other day. He said, I just feel more dynamic on the mound. Um, you know, and that's a way that, you know, there's this big debate on sports specificity and sports specific strength and conditioning, um, you know, and that's <clears> – <throat> I don't know that I believe in that, and that's a whole different rant for a whole nother time. Uh, but what I do <laughs> believe in is that there is some carryover and specific movements uh, that allow the athlete to feel the positions better. And if they can feel the positions better on the mound, they'll have better proprioceptive awareness, which is a way that another way that strength and conditioning actually works uh, from a you know performance mound. Mm. You're saying there's definitely some carryover in the movements. What are you saying? Yep, absolutely. Just the way they're sequenced and the firing patterns. Uh, but, you know, obviously not the velocity that the movements are happening, but just the overall rate of firing. And it just teaches the muscles how to bend and sit in that hinge a little longer. It's a skill. So the more they can do it and train it, the better they'll be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. <clears throat> Is there any times where you're like when I coach – uh, would come to you and, and let's say, let's say the guy, I don't think the guy's, you know, getting into it. Like, man, this guy's really struggling. You look at him and say, man, like he just can't get into his hinge. Do you have those conversations where like, hey, I need to work with this guy on this? Yeah, we do, you know, and it's kind of just looking at the individual and understanding how their body moves. And that's another way, you know, that we can really work on individualizing a program. You know, if it's setting in a hinge, we'll add, you know, practicing that hinge movement. Um, and similar fashions, it could be band around the hip or band pulling them a single way, or, you know, we call it feeding the monster, uh, where you're kind of feeding what you don't want. So the athlete can feel how, what you do want to get, uh, to get those developments and get those gains. Um, and that's kind of what our Tuesdays and Thursdays runs and movement days are, is to kind of get, uh, you know, cause the sport of baseball actually has a lot of commonalities of deficiencies and movement patterns that aren't common, that are, you know, common across the board. So, 
uh, you can kind of take a buckshot approach with them on those movement patterns, you know, through simple drills like clamshells or hip airplanes or controlled articulate rotations. Uh, you name it, you can do it. Uh, so just if you emphasize it, uh, the athletes are going to take ownership of it, and there's a higher chance that they will do it more frequently uh, when you're not watching. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you talked about the practice. You talked about the runs in the morning, like the Tuesday, Thursday runs, I believe you said. Yes, sir. So with those runs that you do, um, what's the what's the purpose behind it? What What is your philosophy behind the runs when you're trying to do that? Yeah, so – our overall philosophy in terms of from a performance standpoint is develop the most explosive, best moving athletes that we are going to compete against. Um, so what we try to do is we train them just as you would a defensive back. And you could be like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if we have what I call that is a sprint based program model where we're working on acceleration and maximum velocity training uh, throughout the year and at a consistent basis, um, that allows your central nervous system to get raised to a higher level. So when they go perform other movement patterns, uh, they can be done at a more explosive level because the central nervous system is trained as a whole. And then as well, when you get faster, your weight room work actually goes up as well because sprinting is the highest central nervous system taxing thing you can do. Um, so everything we do on those Tuesdays and Thursdays is some kind of sprinting variation, bounding variation, skipping variation, throwing variation, um, and it could be anything from sprinting up a hill uh, to pulling chains behind you to doing laser times. And our Thursdays are actually more geared towards what we call our performance days, where the guys get to compete a little bit in timed lasers, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 60s. Uh, we can get flying times to get overall maximum velocity. And what that does is that kind of gives some bragging rights uh, to the athletes because we put it on the weight room wall and, you know, we recorded them, we ranked them and we published it. And the way you know, our guys are wired is they want to see their name number one. So it just mm -hmm. creates that internal competition. Um, so we don't gas them. We don't break them down. That is, those are strictly performance days because what whoop does is it also allows us to track heart rate throughout workouts. So our guys for 60 minutes, uh, minimum, uh, heart rate, just in our lifting and our running, uh, we lift for 60 minutes and we actually run from anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes with the warm-up included in that. So it's got to be very high quality, short and succinct. Uh, but they're getting five days a week of just that time period from a heart rate of 120 uh, to 150 average uh, with upwards of max heart rate of 180 plus on occasions, depending the exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're getting the cardiovascular load they need. Um, and if people say mass throws gas and mass equals bombs, why are we going to go run them into the ground where, number one, that's going to make them lose weight. That's more excessive wear and tear on the joints. Um, and they're going to lose power. Um, so those are just, you know, things that you have to constantly keep in mind there as well. Just balancing it all. Yep, balancing it all. Oh, man. Um, so do you how, how do you look at this from a macro standpoint? You know, like – how yep. do you look at it from like a whole picture standpoint when you're really just trying to dive in and you're also trying to dive into these individuals? Like where's your, where's your macro plan, your, your global plan. And then as you write right now, you're kind of thick of it, but where do you, how do you go from macro then to go from this individual plan? Yeah. So I know in February, uh, probably the second or third week of February, we got to go win a ball game. So, you know, I calculate how many weeks I have to get ready from there. And then I look at that and let's say, I know I have 16 weeks this semester I look at my developmental guys. What do my developmental guys need? Well, 
They're going to do four weeks of working on very high quality movement patterns, technical for proficiency, time under tension exercises, uh, extensive plyometrics to so lower level plyometrics to get familiar with the drills and build tissue tolerance, um, extensive running so we can start to develop quality running mechanics and teach our uh, acceleration model and our max velocity model. And then they're going to move into a basic strength phase. Um, and then we're going to actually intensify that basic strength phase for the next four weeks. And then they're actually going to do a strength endurance block before they go away for winter break. Now for our returning guys and guys that I've seen train, they're actually going to go uh, their GPP phase, strength endurance or hypertrophy phase, basic strength, max strength. And then, uh, and the reason they're different is, uh, I want the incoming guys to develop a base level of strength so they can maximize their strength endurance phase. So I wanted to emphasize movement quality, uh, build force capabilities over those movement qualities, and then enhance as much as I could. So when they go to that uh, hypertrophy block, it peaks that. Mm. Um, and then when we get back in January, uh, there has to be an emphasis on force production and then rate of force production. Um, and then in season, um, we're going to still try to stay strong. We actually had 22 out of 36 available guys on the roster last year, PR two weeks before the big 12 lifetime PR, uh, in back squat. Um, so just knowing when the time is to seek that intensification or seek that intensity stimulus, uh, is picking the right time to do it. And how do you do that? You develop an, a relationship with your athlete. They will tell you if they do not feel very good coach, I do not feel well. Uh, coach, my knees hurt, coach, my back, coach, my arm. Uh, but you have to establish the culture and the respect uh, to be given those opportunities to have those conversations. And I think Coach Maisie does a phenomenal job and Coach Sabins and Ginther and Garcia of recruiting those athletes and bringing them in and, and saying, hey, this is who we are. This is how we do things. And then giving them, you know, the opportunity uh, to make it their own and have some autonomy over their training. Mm hmm. So you're saying develop the relationship. So when you have those conversations and tough ones, say, look, coach, I, my knees hurt. Now, do you just give them off? Like, what do you do for a guy that says, man, my knees just hurt? Or is, and do you just, how do you adapt to that or just kind of give them off? Uh, so you kind of got to adapt to it, right? Uh, you know, normally motion is the lotion. You know, normally if uh, the movement that made you sore, uh, you should probably do it at a lesser intensity. Uh, to remove that soreness and restore that range of motion. So what we try to do is, you know, if, if a catcher comes in, coach, my knees are shot. Uh, instead of having them do a regular squat variation, uh, we might just have them do a box squat where we just take them to 90 degrees and we can still get that muscle activation and still keep the muscles strong and still keep the muscles healthy. Uh, now there, you know, that can be circumstantial. If a guy has a knee injury and he can't train that limb, We'll train upper body, and then we'll train that side of the body manually probably because uh, there's something known as a cross-education theory, which says if you train one side of the body, certain amount of the effects will uh, you know, work their way over to the other limb that has been affected. Uh, so it's case by case, but we always don't focus on what we can do. We always attack what we can do. We try to have a solution-oriented mindset and attack it that way. We don't uh, talk about the uh Principle for everybody. We don't focus. I'll say that again. We don't focus on. <laughs> we don't focus on what we can't do. We focus on what we can do. We just really try to be solution oriented in our process. Um, mm. You know, we want guys that want to try to find a way in, not try to find a way out. And I'll give you an example. We had a uh, incoming pitcher uh, this year, freshman, young buck. Uh, he sent me a message last night. So this is a true story. Uh, you know, and 
He's like, coach, um, is there any way that I can do the air bike, which is the air assault bike, um, the air bike, uh, instead of running this morning? Um, you know, I have shin splints that hurt really bad. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's fine. No problem. Uh, you know, and three weeks ago, Will came in my office and he's a, he's, he's a big guy. Uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, no problem, man. Like, let's rock this out. And he's like, you know, I want to change my body, blah, blah, blah. You know, and he, he took ownership of wanting to transform his body and make it something he's proud of. Uh, and he went and crushed the air bike today and then he went and got treatment. Uh, well, at practice today, he pulled me aside. He's like, coach, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, the trainer gave me the option to have the day off. He's like, you just take, take the day off on your shins. And he goes, I was sitting there and he goes, I've made this much progress. I've lost nine pounds. I finally feel good. Workouts aren't, you know, wearing me out anymore. My velocity's starting to pick back up. He goes, I'm going to go bike, you know? So he found a way and that's what we want. We got, we always want athletes who want to find a way. They're not looking for an out. They want to find that edge. But I think it's the environment you create too. We try to create an explosive environment and enthusiastic atmosphere that's contagious. Um, so that's kind of our philosophy in that realm. And, and I love that. And speaking of like the environment you're creating, because I, I would love for people to hear, because you gave me a little bit of that. And like I said, this what got me fired up about is, can you dive in a little bit of that environment that you've done when you basically have rated guys about how they've done? I, 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 you've, you've taken it to a great level and I'd love to hear it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we call it our daily performance assessment. Uh, and on, on all of our lifting cards, we have our daily questionnaire, which assesses things like what's your hydration level? How many hours of sleep did you get? Uh, what's your level of fatigue for the day? Um, you know, and then at the end of the workout, uh, what was the difficulty of the workout? What was your whoop score? All of those things. Uh, but at the bottom of the workout of each individual day is their grade for the day. And the maximum goal is to get 25 out of 25 points. Um, and what am I grading them on? I'm grading them on all of the intangibles that every human being always has control over. Uh, and these are things as a coaching staff, we felt like if our athletes take pride in now, when they grow up and they get a job and they have a family, these are pillars that they can hang their hat on to raise a very successful family. Uh, and it's commitment, effort, discipline, toughness, trust, and leadership. So you can get graded on a scale of five being the highest down to zero, which is one. And we labeled, we color coordinated and labeled each one. So if you get gold, that is what we call an elevated uh, mindset with championship behaviors. If you get Navy, it is a willing mindset with winning behaviors. If you get the middle gray column, it is compliant or it's client be compliant behaviors and it's average. Uh, and then you got existent, resistant, and unwilling. And we don't ever talk about those. Uh, that's just a totally, those aren't going to help us win ball games. Uh, so our whole goal is to get 20 out of 25 every day. And at the end of the week, we actually give away a jersey uh, to the weight room athlete of the week to kind of celebrate their accomplishments um, and what they achieved. Uh, and the only difference between the gold and the blue columns, so between five points and four points in each one, is did you bring somebody with you? Were you a servant leader? Did you coach them up? Were you an extension of the coaching staff? Did you elevate our standard? Did you create an atmosphere that is more explosive, dynamic, contagious? Uh, so just adding some extra it factor to the room. Uh, and guys actually thoroughly enjoy it. Like, they'll come up, Coach, why did I only get an 18 today? Or, Coach, how did he get a 22 and I didn't? Well, he did three more reps than you, and he helped, you know, uh, David over there get four more reps, you know. So they're just those things of the more you can get them to buy into each other's success because you can only be as great as your weakest link on the team. And in order to get better and win a championship, our 
uh, least talented player uh, needs to be every other team's best talented player. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're trying to do. It's, but I don't want you to, you know, that can come off as a cutthroat. No, it's fun. Our guys enjoy competing and having that uh, environment that is fun can make workouts uh, next level just based off the intensity. Um, so that's, you know, we, we always just try to make it as ex- turn the music up, crank the music and we go to work. And I'm just wondering, just management wise coach, how do you do that? Is it something that you give them? Like, do you do that like Thursday night? Is that something you do like after each workouts? Like how do you manage all of that with all of the 40 guys that you have in the weight room? Yeah. So, uh, are you talking about how do I grade them and give them feedback or how do I manage? Yeah. Like yes. you said, like, Hey, when the guys come back to you and say, Hey, I got an 18, like, how do you, like, wh- how do you go about that process? Uh, they check their workout. So I grade their workout. They see their workout. So if they work out on Monday, they see their grade from Monday on Wednesday when they come into the weight room. Um, and if they, you know, and on Friday, they'll see their Wednesday grade and on Monday, they'll see their Friday grade. Um, because on Tuesday, Thursdays we're outside. So you're grading uh, out of that 25 every day, every, every single card. Yep. Every card. Yep. And what that allows me to do, right. Is that you have to have engagement with your athletes. So you have to make a constant effort, uh, you know, to coach every athlete, at least in one exercise every single day, uh, not just so they know you, you care about them just so they know that they're a human to you and they're not just a baseball player, you know? So I try to go around the room and I can, I try to stay in what we call the coach's view where you can see the whole room and count reps and watch each other, cueing each other and watch how one athlete's creating you know, tension and how they're getting tight and watch their technique. Uh, so it's just a, it's a constant dynamic process. So we call it ABCs uh, with our interns is always be coaching. There's something always to coach. Uh, or you can coach them to coach each other better. You can coach the technique of an exercise. Uh, you know, so just that mindset of constant ABC uh, allows you to successfully accomplish those tasks. No, for sure. No, that's awesome. Man. Like I just said, I would just be, it just seems that that I would be it's it's a, it's awesome. I thought it was like you, so you give out the and then the jerseys come out at the end of the week and they they're worn for the next week. They wear them just in, they wear them in the weight room. No, 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 practice field. So they wear them all the time. Uh, yep. Practice and that cuz cuz yep cuz we give away an Iron Mountaineer award which is given to the uh highest performing a student athlete for the baseball program and there's a statue involved in the award and then your name gets hung up on a very big plaque in the in the facility so uh each guy is constantly trying to compete you know they'll come in and say hey what he do or hey what he do or hey what do i have to beat today uh so and, and hey who gets the jersey next and it's a blue jersey and we ha- like to say we have it's a navy blue and it's actually our old jersey so it's old school we call it our blue collar jersey and that's the mindset we want to have blue collar fighter fighter bloody knuckle mentality. Uh, we don't care who we're going up against. We're going to go try to compete until the very last out and have some pride and dignity about us when we do things. Awesome. Now this iron Mountaineer, is this something that basically like whoever gets the Jersey the most, or is it like a competition? Uh, uh it's during the big 12 challenge. It's constant assessment and evaluation. Uh, we know that consistency is the greatest quality that a human being can possess. Uh, consistency leads to marginal gains day after day. Um, you know, so it's gain, it's judged throughout the year, but primarily we do what's called a big 12 challenge, which is a multitude of different events. Uh, guys draft teams and pick each other on teams and we put them in team events and there's prizes given out of the team that wins the most. And it shows teamwork and trust and leadership, um, and those kind of things. And 
you know, the, so the, they establish it really through there, but it's constant evaluation and assessment because uh, you're every, you're always being monitored. Um, you know, so if you're always being monitored and, and tracked, uh, your intent's always going to be performed at a higher level. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Love it. I mean, it's awesome. Constant evaluation. Mm-hmm. Our guys thoroughly enjoy uh, the more I can put on the weight room wall uh, scores in any competition, whether it be squat numbers, velocity based training numbers, sprint numbers, jump numbers, the more they get engaged in training and they, the more they get uh, enthusiastic about the days ahead of them. They know every Monday they're going to come in and it's going to be a very intensive uh, squat day. They know every Wednesday is going to be a primary upper body day. They know every Friday is going to be a pool from the floor and an explosive squat variation. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to run fast and it allows them to wrap their head around it. And Mm -hmm. once they know the structure, if they know that it can be fun and enjoyable and it doesn't have to be a grind, that's not saying it's not a grind, but it doesn't have to be a grind. That's when it starts to become fun. Mm hmm. I know it's all about the different com- so competitions. So when do you bring out those com- those team competitions so within your week's stuff? Like when you know, because you said you have your consistent week structure. When do you find time to put those kind of team competitions in? When do you find a good time for doing that? Yeah, so that that'll be done on like uh, it's it's total program encompassing, right? It'll be on the field performance. It'll be in the weight room performance. It'll be academic setting performance, uh, study hall performance. Uh, going to other sporting event performances. Uh, so it's just constantly assessed. And uh, I'll be honest, the sport coaches primarily take care of the overall grading system. I give them feedback on what's going on on the field in the mornings and in the weight room and those kind of things, what their WHOOP data shows and their WHOOP compliance, uh, all of those things. Um, but just constant competition. That's just how we feel is going to put us in the best situation uh, playing in the Big 12 Conference. Uh, not only the level of the opponents, uh, but the backing and the crowds that uh, follow them as well. Um, you know, so just getting them in that mindset of being able to compete under pressure and constantly being comfortable competing will allow them to come out on the other side. Love it. Love it. <clears throat> um, you talked about velocity-based training too, like the velocity stuff. Like, So what what tool do you use for that? Do you have a bar? Do you, do you use the band? Or what do you use? Yeah, we use, we use gym aware units. Uh, we use gym aware tethers and we primarily use that for in season training, uh, to, okay. to attack specific speed zones. Uh, you know, and you can do a ascending wave where the bar speed increases over a cycle or a descending wave where the bar speed decreases over a cycle. Uh, that's predominantly dependent on the athlete and what the athlete can handle and their playing time allows, or where they are in their developmental curriculum uh, in the program. Um, but that's something we use on all of our squat days and all of our deadlift days in season. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Like that's what I really wanted to kind of pick your brain about is about my, my curiosity is about, like you said earlier, about 22, 22 yes. of the 36 guys you had PR during the big 12, all right. During the tournament. So that's the end of the season. They're PRing on, you know, certain, certain lists that you're doing. Um, how do you gauge in season work to summer work to fall work to winter work? Yeah. So, um, summer work, uh, I'll be entirely honest with you for the guys that do not stay uh, on campus and are out playing fall ball, uh, the demands of their schedule, they might show up at the yard at noon and they might be on a bus going somewhere else till 2 AM. So to be honest with you, uh, you hope that they're finding ways to train, uh, 
you know, sometimes they don't get, you know, all three lifts and all two runs. That's just not realistic for them. And to be honest, sleep is probably the most paramount priority for them uh, and being able to recover and getting fuel back in their body. So they're not getting, uh, you know, overtrained and they're not getting strung out and they're not getting overly fatigued. Um, so when they come back, you know, our fall has a higher amount of volume um, and we build intensity over time and decrease that volume. Uh, and we focus on, you know, deadlifts, squats, uh, press variations. Uh, some of our guys Olympic lifts, some don't. Uh, some of them thoroughly enjoy it. Some do not. Um, you know, at higher volumes, um, you know, we'll go from a higher volume to very heavy before they go home for Christmas break. When they return, we'll do another GPP phase for one or two weeks, uh, depending on uh, the time frame of our first game. And then we're going to develop that strength and we will always train 90% of what we think their estimated one rep max is uh, at least one time a month, at least let them touch it to feel it because the quality of strength lasts plus or minus 30 days. Um, mm. So, you know, you have to train that at least one time and max strength gains say are greater than 90%. We just got to go touch it. Um, you know, in each block every three or four weeks, whatever you deem is nest for your program, you can literally run the same percentages as your first program and just move it up 2% over four blocks or five blocks and then drop volume again. And you've laid out your entire in-season program. Uh, and in-season is lower volume, higher intensity. Volume uh, is, is the enemy. Intensity is not the enemy. And that's often confused uh, in season workouts for baseball training. Uh, they normally think uh, – High reps, low weight. Uh, no, that's just uh, more wear and tear. That's more volume on the body. Whereas if you do heavier weight for much less reps with a focus on high power output, high force output, um, you're le actually less fatigued, you recover greater, and you remain uh, very strong and powerful uh, during performance. Can you say that again? You said so you're taking more weight and focusing on what? Less reps. Less reps, yep. So, so what we would do, let's say we have trap bar deadlift uh, for a week. Uh, let's say for week one, we would do five sets of three. For week two, we would do six sets of two. For week three, we would do seven sets of one. And if the athlete's feeling really good uh, and the velocity-based unit's saying they just moved their six set of one at 0.5 meters per second, which is pretty good, we'll let them try to pull another one. They might PR that day. Uh, you know, but for our assistant lifts, uh, we could go week one, two sets of eight, week two, two sets of 10, week three, two sets of 12. Uh, so your core lifts decrease in volume and increase in intensity. And for your assistance lifts, you're increasing volume. You could keep the intensity the same. That would be progressive overload. Or you could go up five pounds each week. That could be progressive overload. Uh, oftentimes, putting together programs is overthought. And normally mm -hmm. when you simplify those things, you'll see better results. And that's a great segue into, in the, into, like I said, I know you came from a high school background, you know, you played, you, you, you played, like you just know the one man show. Like I know that you get that. So the one man show, meaning I'm the head coach. I don't really have a high I don't really have a strength coach at the team at the high school level, or maybe that guy's not on the same page with really what you're kind of talking to me about. How would you, how would you simplify it from a high school standpoint? I'm trying to get the best out of my guys. At the yeah, school. no, absolutely. So uh, there's something called the fundamental movement patterns, a squat, a lunge, a hinge, a push, a pull, a carry, a throw and a sprint and a jump. 
Um, you know, so if you knock those things out and if you put an emphasis on quality of movement, execution of movement, stability of movement, uh, before load, uh, you could vary those three, those, that template right there three days a week and see tremendous gains progressively overloaded just with a body weight, uh, progression. But what I would really encourage is to go and gain knowledge. There's so many great, uh, Instagram, uh, people you can go follow, uh, you know, Eric Cressy, Zach Dakin, Alex Simone. There's so many out there that you can go look at, uh, that can teach you how to train at a very, very high level, uh, and can teach you proper ways to do things so you can help your athletes. Cause the worst thing and the biggest thing you could do, uh, to disservice your athlete is put them in an environment that is unsafe. Movements aren't executed correctly. Risk of injuries through the roof, uh, not enjoyable, uh, and just a lack of understanding when athletes understand how to execute something and they see somebody perform it correctly, uh, it now becomes a competition innate to them. Well, if Johnny can do it, I can do it. Johnny, how'd you do that? And it allows them to figure it out. And when you get athletes fig- asking themselves, how do I do that? Or having a light bulb moment, uh, like we had an athlete today, uh, say, coach, when I was running on the woodway today, I felt like I was running too much on my toe. And I said, okay, Tim, how do we coach our acceleration? You can strike with the ball of your foot. I said, so what do you think? I, I said, so what do you think you should have done? He goes, I think I, I think that I let the harness pull my hips out from underneath me. And I said, how do you fix that? And he explained how to fix it. So when we start getting athletes figuring out how to do things, uh, that's when the, that's when it clicks. So at the high school level, not having those resources, learn from somebody who does or ask a local college or, uh, you know, local private coach, uh, they, they should not care. They should want to help the youth and help you develop and make fitness and development and training fun, uh, how to do that and how to perform that. And I think, you know, as long as the NCAA allows them, there's not a college coach in America who won't say, I would love to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just put those kids in a really good situation, being okay to put your ego aside and say, I don't know this at the level I think I should. I'm going to go outsource and find a way to help my athletes in a multiple amount of ways. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, speaking of schedule, so because like, I know you've lived this too, what's the schedule like, let's say, during season when you're trying to get these guys? Like, So let's say you went back to your Morgantown days. How would that be different knowing what you know now at the high school level realistically to get those guys in the best shape they can during season? I will be wholeheartedly honest with you. I would have not made one single human being run polls. I would have focused more on simpler, doing simple things savagely well instead of thinking high school kids need complex strength training methods and bands and chains instead of just working on efficient movement patterns under extended time under tension, making sure the athlete can produce force relative to their body weight at a high level uh, and put just a bigger emphasis on sprinting, jumping, and throwing, not only the propulsive proponents of it, with the force absorption um, and then progressed slower in my progressions throughout training, you know, spend more time goblet squatting as opposed to just going goblet squat, front squat. Oh yes. Back squat. Let's see heavy weights. Uh, just kind of regressing and saying, yeah, we're going to stick with this goblet squat for a very long time. You will still get strong. We'll go 70 this week, 80 this week, 90 this week. We'll start 100s for three by five and we'll go, keep that every week until we're three by 10 and, you know, just having that mindset of slow cooking the athlete instead of 
getting caught up in the age group of, you know, I'm 23 years old. I got to get these athletes ready to win a state championship right now. Uh, and I think with age comes wisdom and learning that a five pound PR is a five pound PR. And that's something to celebrate equally as a hundred pound PR or a 500 pound squat um, and taking those small wins. Mm. That's awesome. I think I think it's just all of those are just great lessons for anyone besides just even just just weightlifting, you know, celebrating the small wins. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's something, you know, um, especially at our level where the pressure is always on, the pressure to perform is always on, trying to make you know the starting lineup and trying to bat and this whole you know, athletes are very hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Sometimes as a coach, you do not need to tell them that they did not do a good job. They know they did a bad job. And sometimes you have to overpraise, especially when they're in a slump. Sometimes you have to overpraise their accomplishments. And you just have to kind of under, have to know the athlete and take your small wins. Because, you know, we had a guy today that didn't beat his times from last week in our running. And he thought he got slower. He did not get slower. He ran, I think he ran to sec- home to second. 10 times yesterday because he was just mashing the baseball. Uh, that's, that's an over-exaggeration, but it was more than normal. So he was more fatigued than normal. His strain was 20.5 today. Uh, last week when he ran really fast the night before, it was a 16.4. Like, you're fine. You're fine. You're, it'll catch back up to you. And understanding that and being able to have those conversations with your athletes. And I'm just – another thought rolled through, through my head here. Um Cause I still got to that. It was, it's, it's a matter of the velocity based training. And so your velocity based training is still just like a piece of your training, right? Yes. And where some people are just doing velocity based training as just the entirety. Correct. Correct. Yes. No. So, uh, we use, we just use velocity based training on our compound lifts on, you know, if we have athletes and this, we break them up into, you know, a couple buckets, but if we have a bucket of strength, speed athletes, uh, they have certain velocities that they have to hit. And then we have speed strength athletes. They have certain speeds they need to hit um, throughout the time period of the year. Um, so that's just a piece of the model. And then from there, you know, I piece together what I think is best for our program overall. And then each athlete specifically, whether it be specific mobility exercises, modifications to squat variation or press variation, or nece- or they need more upper back work, so on and so forth, just based off what our movement assessment told us, we kind of go from there. Uh, but we just use our velocity-based training on our compound lifts uh, just to really ensure we're getting the stimulus again because each velocity you hit meets to a certain percentage or a certain targeted adaptation. Can you explain what a compound, like how, what's your definition of a compound yeah. lift is? So some kind of squat variation. So it's either a safety bar squat, a back squat, a pitch shark squat, or a front squat. A deadlift variation, um, it could be a sumo deadlift, low handle trap bar, high handle trap bar, or conventional, and our pressing variations. So it could be our bench press from rack, towel bench press, regular bench press, so on and so forth. Those are what we call our primary movements. Um, now, pitchers, is, we actually dropped the pressing variation out and we had a pulling variation, uh, and we replaced the heavy upper body pressing with pulling for pitchers. Uh, that's one modification we do make. Okay, cool. Thank you for that clarification. Appreciate it. 
<clears throat> um, wow, we just been through a ton in, a, in an hour, a ton. Um, man, you we've talked a lot about in the weight room. Um, how much of your job too, uh, and what you see is because I th- I think it helps at a, at a lot of at a lot of levels. Uh, is speed work, you know, and with like that's like the sprint techniques and things like that. Um, sprinting. So, how much of that falls under your umbrella, and what do you feel we could do to develop that kid? Like you said, what at those important year high school years? Yeah, no. Uh, so I'm very fortunate in the situation where I get to develop the entire speed program and kind of uh, any running that's done, uh, other than base running uh, during practice, uh, I get to directly control. So I can kind of make the progressions and regressions as necessary uh and when we run fast we run to run fast so we do full rest full recovery and we compete uh our kind of progression is uh extensive uh extensive uphill running to start just kind of accumulate some volume uh on the tissues the ligaments the connective tissue kind of get them used to training uh what the ground does is it what the hill does it actually brings the ground to the foot so it minimizes uh, ground contact for uh, forces. So it's less stress on the body. It also allows greater knee drive and it prevents overstriding for the most part. And with each stride, you have to produce more power to get up the hill. So it's a strength power exercise. So we'll do a couple weeks of extensive running and movement patterns from karaoke up the hill, lunge up the hill, side shuffle up the hill. Then we'll start with buildups. We'll go to hill sprints. Uh, with, then we'll go to resisted runs. Then we will go to what we call fly float flies. And then we will go to what we call fly in runs. And that's kind of our progression. And every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, Tuesday is our acceleration focus and Thursday is our max velocity focus. So all our drills will be tailored uh, to the focuses of those days. And then all of our plyometrics and throws will also meet the demands of the acceleration day and also the demands of the max velocity day. And our guys love it. Like they know they're not coming on Tuesdays and Thursdays when they have to get up at six in the morning that they're not coming to the field to just get ran into the ground. They're knowing they're coming to the field and they're probably going to leave feeling fresh and better than when they arrive because all the work we're doing is high central nervous system taxing. It wakens their nervous system up and it kind of gets them going. And they kind of have that like, you know, very awake and almost nostalgic feeling uh, to just go attack the rest of their day. Mm, Awesome. Okay. So can you give us any basics of, like you said, you can you have full control over, are you looking for a certain, like, is there any red flags that people could be looking for in terms of sprinting and the kind of mechanics of that? Yeah. Yeah. Arms crossing the body, you know, those arms can kind of come to the midline, but elbows flared out to the side, looking like they're trying to swim while they're running. Uh, you know, simple arm drills can fix that and getting them to understand uh, proper arm swing mechanics. And again, social media is killing it from the performance standpoint of being able to watch some quality videos to help those who are in need of developing. Um, then another one that's really, really good that you'll see is like a super long on the backside, like a long swooping lever on the backside where the bottom of their shoe points up to the sky and their heel comes in and kicks their butt and they whip it through very long. Uh, that's a very inefficient running gait. Um, running with knees across the body. That's another common one. Um, and then a hyperextended back, just teaching athletes proper posture. 
I think all of the youth level would do really well learning simple A drills like an A march, A walk, A march, A skip, A run, a series called Boom Booms, and just from there, like how to put our athletes in those situations, stop running poles, stop having them do 300-yard sprints or shuttles, stop having them run 100 yards and then turn around, run 100 yards again. For every 10 yards they run, we give our guys about 60 seconds of rest uh, on our speed training. Now, that's not saying that again, that again. for every 10 yards our guys run, we give them about 60 seconds rest. Okay, coach, that's not possible. Well, if you, if you have a group of guys you know, that are running, it's group of 10, and they're going one at a time so you can coach and video and give them their times back from the lasers, it'll come out to about 60 seconds, and you can get some high-quality reps. Now, that's not saying that we baby the guys and – you know, we don't push them. We do do those things and we do get their heart rate up. Uh, you know, our weightlifting workouts, their heart rates as a team are right around 127 to 132 beats per minute for at least 60 minutes. And then after our runs with the warm up included of anywhere from 35 to 45 minutes, it's up elevated again. We're getting the cardiovascular effect we need. Absolutely. Okay. That's great. For every 10 yards, we give them three. Uh, awesome. So stop running poles, stop running hundred yards, you know? So like, what do you, what do you like to do? Like, let's say, you know, cause you know, the, the time tested, the guy just pitched, he was a starting pitcher through 120 pitches. What does he do the next day for you? He comes in and we go through a movement circuit. Um, you know, we just try to reestablish range of motion, uh, try to just get some blood flow going. So it could be literally, uh, tempo run down at like 65% for 50 yards, 10, 10 Kang squats, walk back, and we'll just get them moving again. Uh, what we don't want to do is dehydrate them anymore, get them losing any more calories. Uh, we just want to get that blood flow going uh, for about 20 to 25 minutes just to kind of get them going. And it really depends on the setting and the venue we're at, what we kind of do. If we have access to a hotel, we'll do some stuff in there. If we do, or if we, now that COVID's gone, thank goodness, uh, we'll get to use other facilities the day after they throw. Uh, so we'll get to go in there and do those kind of things. Uh, so that'll actually allow us to alter and modify our programming a little bit. Uh, but really, that day after, we don't try to blow them up. We don't try to put them in a lactic bath. We try to put them in a situation that when it's time for them to turn around and throw again uh, on Sunday or Monday, whatever the throwing program recommends, uh, that they're ready to go. Awesome. So, again, nothing over, you said, like, what, 50 yards that we said? Uh, that, that's really dependent. Uh, I'm looking for quality running mechanics, like good okay. front side mechanics, uh, heel underneath hamstring, knee to 90 degrees, uh, head stacked on top of shoulders, shoulders over hips. And, you know, and I found that that's kind of a sweet spot for athletes. And we're training baseball players. Uh, normally the farthest they have to run very fast is a hard 90 feet. Um, so just kind of taking that into consideration that they probably don't want to run distance. And if I'm preaching fast all the time, I got to meet them in the middle. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. <clears throat> oh, man. Uh, speaking of all that, Coach, like, are, do you put your stuff out there on social media? Like, is there a good place for people to follow what you do? Not yet, but I will. Uh, Let's girl- go. My girlfriend, uh, my girlfriend <laughs> has been encouraging me, and then some of the guys have been encouraging me. Uh, I just constantly want to make sure we look perfect before uh, I do it, before I put it out there. Uh, I should probably just put that behind me. Um, 
you know, I, I don't like to keep anything a secret, so that's not it. I, just, I guess I'm lacking confidence in my video ability. <laughs> I, I think that's what it is. I think I'm lacking confidence in my video ability. Uh, and it's not like I'm not proud of our guys or they're not doing the right thing. Uh, I just, I'm not a big social media guy. Uh, I do have an Instagram, but it's not like us training or training footage. I'm pretty boring. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't wait for that day. So I'm sure you'll, you'll get a good follow out of me. If that's for sure. Um, what's, so if anybody wants to talk more about this stuff, man, like what's maybe the best way to contact you if they want, besides, cause of course not social media, but can they email you? Yeah. Email me, uh, at Nolan Harvath at gmail.com. Um, it's Harvath H A R V A T H, right? Yes, sir. Um, you know, and I, I love answering questions and I love giving back cause I've learned so much from every level, you know, uh, I've coached youth soccer where there's five-year-olds running around, uh, up to, you know, this level and each level's taught me something. And, you know, I always say when I retire from college, uh, I'm going to coach at the high school level because those athletes need someone that cares about them and cares about how they do things and how they go about things and how they develop, uh, and done properly. Uh, because as you get older, you learn things that, man, I wish I would have trained differently this way and those kind of things. Uh, so I always root for those younger kids to get put in a very good situation where they can develop and be given a chance to be great. Because for some of those kids that are under-recruited when they're, you know, a freshman and a sophomore, uh, they hit a huge growth spurt their junior and senior year. And, you know, they feel behind the eight ball because genetically they just didn't hit puberty yet. So I'm always trying to pull for those, you know, kids that have a coach that really cares and invest in them. Coach Nolan Harvath, just killing it. Just a ton of information. I know it's a lot. Hopefully you go back, just listen to it as many times as you want. Reach out to him. Email him. I'll be a great contact for you. NolanHarvath at gmail.com. N-O-L-A-N-H-A-R-V-A-T-H at gmail.com. Most people know that if you're not doing weightlifting right now, you're not doing it right. There's no way. You know, that's definitely something I could have got a lot better at, put more of an emphasis on, made it a part of our weight uh, training in the in the even in the in season. It has made it much more our priority. You know, guys, some of our guys in the area did it great in, in even in the summer. And I, I definitely done it better like that. And reaching out to guys knowing like Nolan. And I think what you can hear is how much benefits there are of developing your culture and knowing your guys, seeing how they work and even another part of their character uh, there's a tremendous value there and I just I love the conversation uh, loved how he develops the whole player uh, I'm, I'm list, my my notes are just huge list I just his per, daily performance feedback and how they grade people and their intangibles that every human has control of how coach Noel Harvest says it uh, the one through five gold I just love the standard of it is enhanced when you bring someone with you. It be, The difference between being great and exceptional is you bringing someone with you. Did you help someone else out? You know, is he cre he's creating that brotherhood mentality. He's creating that brotherhood. He's creating that culture to... Um, he's creating a hard-nosed hard team. But the brotherhood there, man, is just phenomenal. I just love that daily performance feedback that he gives. And... You know, how he's able to, you know, like you talk about the 
always be coaching blue collar jersey that they're giving out during weightlifting times. Um, how they are uh, focused on the solution, not the problem. We're focused on what we can't, not focused on what we can't do. We're focused on what we can do. Um, it's always about developing the relationship, having those conversations, giving kids an exercise so they can see like they're they he that he does care. Um, and really just revolving himself about the fundamental movement patterns, keeping it simple. Uh, Love though he said not wouldn't uh, run poles anymore. He would be focusing on um, being a baseball player and the acceleration and having to deal with it. Um, so just a ton of information, really great stuff. Uh, if you like the technical side, I think that was there. And if you also like the culture side, I think that was there. It was just a really great, um, great talk with Coach Harbeth, and I really can't thank him enough and just really – appreciate him taking the time to talk to us and helping us get better today so um just like i gotta thank my guys at netting pros i gotta thank will minor i gotta thank the guys at netting pros netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time netting professionals specialize in design fabrication installation of custom netting for backstops batting cages dugouts scoreboards bp screens and ball carts they also design and install digital graphing wall padding windscreen turf turf protectors dugout benches dugout cubbies and more Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school, and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Please contact Will Minor, the guys at Netting Pros, at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn for all your latest products and projects. So... Thanks to those guys. Love being part of the Netting Pros family chat. If you haven't checked out those other podcasts, by all means, go check them. It's a it's a wealth of things. They love to be balanced and giving and kind of giving everybody um, a ton of different resources. So again, thank you, Will Meyer. They they do a great job and they really try to help take care of us. So check those guys out. Check out Netting Pros for all your facility needs. And Coach Harbeth, episode eighty. In the books, great stuff, really enjoyed it, and fired up, and I really can't thank you for helping us all get better. So until next time, keep getting better.